Lord. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. So let us now give thanks to our Lord who has died for us, risen for us, and ascended for us into the heavenlies. Let us pray. Eternal God, your only Son was taken up into heaven that he might bring together heaven and earth, that he might bring together man and God, and bestow upon us who believe in him the spirit of truth. Make us joyful in his ascension so that we might worship him in his glory, and we pray you would come and be present with us now by the power of your Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first hymn is number 290, Hail the Day That Sees Him Arise. Seeing we have a great high priest who has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, 
Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith and make our confession of sin to our Heavenly Father. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, who receives your people into such wonderful communion that being united to your Son by faith, they should dwell in him and he in them. We who have sinned against you, approaching your presence and beholding your glory, repent of our transgressions. We have sinned, we have grievously sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have dishonored your holy name. Most merciful Father, for the sake of Jesus Christ, forgive us all our sins. Deliver us by your Holy Spirit from all uncleanness. Enable us freely to forgive others as we pray that you will forgive us and to serve you from this day forward in newness of life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. I declare to you as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ that all those who have faith in him and repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. This is the good news of the gospel, and we say, praise be to God. Listen to the apostle who writes to the Corinthian church about love because they weren't loving each other. And so the things mentioned in this section of of 1 Corinthians 13 are not just abstract statements uh, about love or or idealistic statements about love, but things that the church needed to practice. Listen to our call to obedience. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I am nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, let us say, amen. Our hymn is number 292, Who Shall Ascend the Mountain of the Lord? knowledge 
bring our prayers to our Lord who has ascended on high for us and intercedes for us. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful Father, by your mercy in Jesus Christ, we have been born anew to a living hope. For this, we give you thanks, a real hope in a world that often seems so hopeless to us. As once you brought your people through the Red Sea waters, so from the waters of death, you raised us to life with Christ. Once we were no people, but now we are your people. Once we were children of wrath, but now we are your adopted sons and daughters. As Christ ascended to your right hand, may our prayers ascend to you in his name. Fill up the whole church with your power, unity, and peace. Grant that all who trust you may obey your word and live together in faith and love. And may the churches in this city bear witness to the one who rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Therefore, hear our prayers for churches from different traditions. We do not exclude ourselves, but we remember the church is greater or is larger than just Reformed churches. And we pray that all churches would be set firmly upon Jesus Christ with faith in him and proclaim his word. We pray for different churches in Baptist, Methodist, Independent Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Lutheran, uh, these different traditions. We also pray for Redeemer PCA in Midtown Detroit and for the unity of faith and witness to Jesus Christ. We pray for these and others that come to mind. Hear our prayers. O ruler of the nations, guide us in the way of justice and truth. Increase order, peace, and righteousness in the societies of this world. May we always defend and come to the aid of oppressed people. We pray you would stop the shootings in our society with policies that promote the good of society. 
Hear our prayers that you guide and direct those who govern in this world to the end that there is just government and peace. And so we pray for those who lead in the various countries for Vladimir Putin, Andres Obrador in Mexico, Joe Biden, Hassan Rouhani in Iran, and Xi Jinping of China, and for the end of the fighting in Ukraine and in other hot spots in this world. Hear our prayers. We beseech you for the mission of the church, that in faithful witness to Jesus Christ, your people may proclaim the gospel to every nation. Hear our prayers for our missionaries, ben, Benjamin Hopp in Haiti, along with Octavius Delphils, and also Ben Westerveld and his family in Quebec. We pray you would uphold and strengthen and encourage these men as they serve you, their families, and the churches and Christians with whom they work. Hear our prayers. Bless the pastors and churches of the Presbytery of Michigan and Ontario. We pray you'd bless them with faith, hope, and love, and maturity and growth. Hear our prayers for Lap Duong and the Vietnamese Church in Grand Rapids, and also for Stephen Pribble and Grace OPC in Lansing. Our Father, give to this congregation your grace for its life together, its vocation to be witnesses to Christ, and for its worship. Fill our hearts with your self-giving love so that our voices may speak your praise and we may grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Keep us from thinking that we have already reached full maturity, but that we would continue to strive by the strength of your Holy Spirit and by your grace to grow in him. And give us the bread of life that we may remain your people and faithfully serve you in this world. Here are our prayers for those in need in our congregation and for our friends. We pray for Terry and Eduardo, for Jeff and Fawn, for Scott and Becky, Paul, for Angie, Mrs. Mesner, Kathy, Chris Barker, Phyllis, Tom, Seth, Sam, and others we name to you in silence. May the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, which, which sets us free from sin and gives us new life, may it be heard with faith, and may these for whom we pray be strengthened in their weakness and have confidence in your grace and the goodness you lavish upon us. For those who are married, we pray, give them wisdom and devotion in the ordering of their common life, May each spouse know that you are our strength, so that each may be to the other a strength in need, a counselor in perplexity, a comfort in sorrow, and a companion in joy. And for those who are single, we also pray that they would experience and know the family of Christ and that they would be uh, encouraged by the community of the church. We pray that they would be strengthened in um, in their calling, and that they would be faithful to serve you. And finally, we do pray that you would encourage us and send us out into the world to proclaim Christ's victory over sin, to work in our cities for peace between people, justice for the weak and innocent, and for society in which people are not exploited in the name of personal freedom. May we help people who are languishing and teach a greater knowledge of your ways and your will. And all of this 
bearing witness to Jesus Christ. Into your hands, Heavenly Father, we commit all of our prayers, trusting in your mercy revealed in Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord. be seated. And join with me as we pray for uh, the illumination of the Spirit as we read the Word today. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you have given us your Word. What an amazing gift, uh, a gift available to us all day, every day, to your people throughout the ages. And um, we pray this morning that as we gather in your name, that by your spirit we would be, uh, that our, our minds would be opened, our hearts would be opened to, uh, to hear, to understand, um, and to uh, have a greater understanding and love and affection for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first reading this morning uh, is the beginning of Acts. So Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach 
until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Our Psalter response comes from Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the shout of a trumpet. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Our epistle reading today uh, comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Uh, Finally, our gospel reading this morning is the uh, last section of the book of Luke. So chapter 24, 
uh, verses 44 to 53, the end of Luke. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. The word of the Lord. The Ascension of Christ, this is Ascension Sunday, the Ascension of Christ is the, uh, is the abbreviated event of Christ's life. It almost seems like a, a brief pause between the milestones of Jesus' resurrection and the day of Pentecost, when Christ poured out his Holy Spirit upon the church. And we might feel some justification for this view because of the short account of Jesus', resurrect, uh, Jesus uh, Ascension in the Gospel of Luke, and then which is just four verses, and then in Acts, there's a, an account also of Jesus' ascension, and it's six verses. So there's short little texts about Jesus' ascension. The Gospels of Matthew and John don't mention it, although it's assumed in, in those Gospels. And then the Apostle Paul, who does mention it or refer to it in the Epistle to the Ephesians. It comes off, also comes off as an abbreviated event in the church calendar, Officially, it's 40 days after the day we celebrate Christ's resurrection. So 40 days after Easter is the day of ascension, and even our text in Acts mentions that. And that puts the day of Christ's ascension on a Wednesday, last Wednesday. But most churches observe the event of Christ's ascension on the following Sunday, that's today. And it's easy to pass over the ascension of Christ as we move out of the season of Easter into Pentecost. However, even though the ascension of Christ is quick, and if you think about it, how many verses, how many, uh, I don't know, how much, how much, how many words are devoted to the telling of Jesus' birth or his uh, crucifixion or his resurrection? Many, right, in the Gospels, but this doesn't have that much. It's very brief. It's concentrated. It might be quick in terms of moving from Easter to Pentecost, but it's concentrated. So I thought of, well, what's that like? It's like beef bouillon cubes. It's the best I could come up with. They're packed with flavor. Similarly, the ascension of Christ is packed with meaning and importance for the Christian life. So the next time you use a beef bouillon cube or a chicken bouillon cube, think of the ascension. Consequently, we observe and celebrate the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven because it is this very important, concentrated event for the Christian life um, and event of Christ. 
All of our scripture lessons refer to Jesus' ascension. So just to remind you of that, Acts says, And when he had said these things to his disciples, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And there's that ascension, ascending into heaven. The end of the Gospel of Luke says, Jesus parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And then the letter to the Ephesians says, God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And so it's assumed that from his resurrection, he then ascends into the heavenly seat where at the right hand of the Father. Um, It's possible that Christ could have been raised from the dead and just remained here on earth. But see, Paul's making it clear, and the whole New Testament makes clear that he went on to be back with the Lord, to be united with the Father. Now, sitting down to prepare this sermon, my mind immediately thought of the very fashionable denial of heaven in our modern era. So among the educated and uh, people who think about things, it's very fashionable. It has been for a long time to deny uh, heaven. There is no heaven, modern people say. It's a leftover from a pre-scientific understanding of the cosmos. I've heard it said that religion gives us heaven in order to distract us from the troubles of the world. If, if we are a people who are always thinking about how we can go to heaven and how there will one day be this, this uh, peace and resolution to all our problems, then perhaps we're not really interested in what's going on in this world now. Heaven is for those who are weak and need something to hold on to. Freud, Sigmund Freud, defined such religious belief like in heaven, as an illusion that comes from wishful thinking. And therefore, according to this argument, Jesus Christ did not really ascend into heaven, and there's no more point in talking about it. For some, the belief that there is no heaven goes hand in hand with the belief that there is no God. Certainly, the denial of heaven, and by implication, the quick dismissal of the ascension of Christ is well in place today. It's, it's very set. You go to any, any school, you're going to hear that probably in, in many of the classes, um, just the general conversation. In fact, it's, it's so well set in our society, you just don't hear people talk about heaven anymore. However... I say you don't hear them talk about it anymore. They don't, uh, it's not promoted. It's not something that we're supposed to believe in. Ironically, however, even though there are those who are trying to push the denial of, of anything beyond this life, ironically, it's still very popular, after saying all that, it's very popular to believe in an afterlife or something like heaven. It is still very popular in our culture, even though you've got this contrast or this tension with not believing in it. So the Pew Research Group says 72% of Americans believe in heaven, however how that's defined. Search the Internet and you'll find an abundance of stories about people dying. It's it's fascinating. You ought to do it sometime, these stories. And I'm not talking about just somebody's blog or some off-site in the Internet, but some some serious um, conversation with with uh, sites that have a lot of, uh, uh, are given some credence in our culture. Um, but there's a lot of talk about going to some place in the afterlife like heaven and then having the person having their life restored and coming back to tell us about it. So one of these is Mary Neal. Mary Neal is a medical doctor, so that gives her some credibility, right? She was interviewed by CNN, so that's mainstream, right, in 2013. It was about a kayaking trip that she took to the Los Rios region of Chile. I, I told uh, 
Shelley that I was hoping Eduardo would be here so he'd perk up you know, this because he's from Chile. But the Los Rios, I think there are three rivers that come together there, and it's, it's, they're fun rivers to kayak. And she went there with her husband and some friends in 2013. Mary set out on one of the rivers in her kayak, and these rivers, or this one anyway, was full, is full of waterfalls. Not massive waterfalls, but se- you know, several feet, like, like some, some good drops. And that makes the kayaking exciting. So she's heading down the river, she told the interviewer, and soon she went over a 12-foot waterfall deep into the pool below. And the water's turbulent. It's pushing around and moving. And she went into the pool and was pinned in the rocks under the water. Her friends worked hard to rescue her. The kayak shifted, and it was just enough for the group to free Mary. But she was sucked out of the boat by the current, and her legs were bent back over her knees. You can just picture that, like Gumby or something. She says, I could feel the bones breaking. I could feel the ligaments and the tissue tearing. I felt my spirit peeling away from my body, sort of like peeling two pieces of tape, she said. As one of her friends grabbed her wrist to try to pull her out of the water, Neil realized she was outside her body watching the rescue effort. She watched people work on her, but she felt none of it. When I saw my body, she said, I actually thought, well, I guess I'm dead. I guess I really did die. She went without oxygen for 30 minutes. As she watched, she said she was met by some living beings or spirits who started to guide her toward a brightly lit path toward which appeared to be a domed structure. It was exploding, not just with light and brilliance and color, but with love, she said. There she spoke with the spirits, and they told her it was not time, not her time to die, that she still had a job to finish. And then she returned to her body, and she was revived. So there are lots of stories like that out there about people who have some experience that goes beyond this life, they, they claim, um, an afterlife that might very well be called heaven. And this is more of, the, the way she's described it is a very common way of thinking about heaven in, in our modern age. If you're going to believe in it, you tend to believe in it like this. It's very much focused on ourselves and the bliss of that life after death. Now in scripture, when someone was taken beyond the veil between heaven and earth, their view is concentrated on God. And this is the case with, I'll just take you back for a moment to think about these characters in the Bible, but that's the case with Jacob, with the ladder. He saw the ladder going up into heaven and the Lord God at the top who repeated his great promise to Jacob. What's the focus there? It's God, the ladder ascending to God and and God making his, or reiterating his promise to Jacob. It's the same with Ezekiel who had a vision of heaven by the river Kibar in Babylon. And with John, who was in the spirit on the Lord's day when he heard the voice of the Lord and saw the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory in in Revelation. Christ's ascension into heaven is no different. You see, the focus is not on us there or on his disciples. I mean, they're part of the story, definitely. But the ascension event itself focuses on what Christ is doing, what's happening with him. Christ's ascension focuses us on God. It has to do with his salvation for us. 
Now, together, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts give us a picture of Christ's ascension. So we, we pull them together and we get this picture of Christ's ascension. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples, and on the 40th day, he walked with them on the road towards Bethany. And then they stopped. This little group with Jesus stopped. Luke says that Jesus raised his hands and blessed his disciples like the minister does at the end of the worship service, which you will, of course, see me do at the end of this one. Acts, on the other hand, is concerned with the promise that Jesus gave his disciples to empower them to be his witnesses to the nations of the world. And when it gets to the story of his actual ascension, the disciples, uh, the angels, say to the disciples in in a very, very uh, shortened version, get going, get going, they say to the disciples. And then Luke and Acts tell us that Jesus ascended. Some of the early manuscripts of the Gospel of Luke only say that he parted from them. But the stronger texts, the stronger manuscripts, include the words, and was carried up into heaven. Acts uses more picturesque language than the Gospel of Luke. So the Gospel of Luke has some, but the book of Acts has more when it talks about Jesus' ascension. As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him from their sight. Jesus disappeared from the disciples' sight, ascending into a, in a cloud into the sky above. Jesus ascended into heaven. And so we get this picture that's formed through uh, with Luke and Acts. Now, there are some things in the Bible that can be said better with word pictures than with mere statements. Jesus ascending into heaven is one of these. It's a word picture. It's, it's showing us something. Even Paul, when he refers to Jesus being raised to sit at the right hand of God, uses language that becomes more picturesque. It's almost like the words aren't enough. And, it, and it, it needs to draw us into the, the uh, picture of what's going on. And so the words are designed, it's a word picture, it's designed to do that, to show us that there's more to this than you can just put into a nice phrase. And it is it, what Paul says is in our text from Ephesians, Jesus is seated in the heavenlies above all the unseen principalities and powers reigning in our world. Jesus was raised from the dead and he ascends and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And then Paul stretches his picturesque language to the breaking point. The picture gets, keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. As you listen to what Paul's saying about Christ, that he's seated above the unseen principalities and powers reigning in our world, and then Paul goes on further and says, all things are under Christ's feet, and it just gets bigger and bigger. The, the ascended Christ is joined with his church. And then with a full, wide-view lens... Ephesians refers to Jesus Christ ascended into the heavenlies and says the fullness of him who fills all in all. How do you put, I mean, it's a statement, yes, but it just really needs to be understood in a very, very wide, uh, just a, a complete sort of view, and that's what Paul builds towards that statement. Something happens when we lose the pictorial language of Scripture, which is something else we tend to do in our scientific modern age is we tend to like to reduce everything to statements. But something happens sometimes when we do that. We lose this pictorial language. We lose the picture, and and we don't need to lose the picture with some things in Scripture. And I do believe we lose it when we try to make the Bible fit the way we see things. If we're going to stop using the language the Bible's using because it seems archaic, it seems primitive, it seems kind of pre-Copernican, um, then, then we're going to perhaps try to squeeze it into the way we see things, and we might lose something. 
we should sit back and let the scripture talk to us the way it's showing us something, even if it's in an ancient way of talking. And so we do this when we make heaven part of our geography. When we try to put it on the map, so to speak, like a tourist destination. So back in the 19th century, people would travel to distant lands and write books about what they saw. It was very common. These things were travel logs. They were very popular because people could read them and feel like they had been to those faraway places. So somebody might go to Paris or they might go to Vienna or something and write this travel log about it. And then somebody who can't go to those places could read the travel log and just be drawn in. It was very exciting. They they um, could read about the people and feel what the traveler had experienced um, in those faraway places, see what he had seen through the writing, hear what he heard, felt what he felt. Heaven has become such a travel destination like Mary Neal. Mary Neal, the doctor who went under the water. It becomes this travel destination like other places we go. Now, the way we get there is unconventional. Everyone would agree you must die to go to heaven. That's what people believe. If you die, then you go to heaven. That's how you get there. And it seems so automatic. That's just what people tend to believe. If you're going to believe in something beyond this life, then we just die and go there. And there are those who go, or at least claim to go, and come back and give us their travel log. They tell us what they experienced. These reports have spiritual overtones, which is interesting. Heaven is described as a place where our spirits go, freed from our bodies. Remember Mary Neal? Bodies there in the water and then pulled out and trying, you know, they're trying to do CPR on her. But her spirit is somehow hovering above it and then goes off um, into that, on that little journey. It's a place where the mystical light of God shines brightly and beautiful sounds are heard. That's often a description of what people say. In a general sense of peace, loves the soul. Remember what Mary said? It wasn't just bright lights and beautiful colors and everything. It was an overwhelming sense of love. Now, in the Bible, heaven is not a place in our geography. It's not put like that. In the Old Testament, we're told stories of God transcendently present with his creation. There's the story of Isaiah in the temple who sees a vision of the majesty and glory of God seated on the throne. And and Isaiah says he was high and lifted up. His glory filled the temple, but it went out as far as Isaiah could see. He just saw the little tip of of his robe. And yet God's glory, his majesty went out just beyond uh, Isaiah's vision. His glory filled the temple as far as Isaiah could see. All around God's throne were the angels singing in adoration, and you get the Trisagion, the three holies. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. You're getting a word picture there, and Isaiah puts it in very you know, uh, stunning kind of, of uh, image. Then there's the story of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, who was by the river Kibar with the exiles in Babylon, with the word of, when the word of God came to him, he saw the heavens opened up and the glory of the Lord, which was majestic and mighty beyond anything we know in this world. Human language cannot capture the majesty, the majestic glory of God. And Ezekiel gives us descriptions of God in the heavens that sound bizarre, which is good, because then we just think it's ordinary. It sounds bizarre, and that always freaks us out when we're reading it, like, you know, what, this doesn't make any sense. But that's good, because it shouldn't make sense, because it's not something we should be trying to fit into our geography. 
Ezekiel says, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around about him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness round him. In the New Testament writings, the Apostle John in the book of Revelation tells of the Spirit opening the heavens to him, and he sees the rich and vivid, he uses the rich and vivid apocalyptic language of his day. That's what you get in Revelation. He sees the brilliance of God seated on the throne with the Lamb of God in the dazzling hues of the precious stones, jasper, carnelian, and emerald. John says, from the throne came flashes of lightning and voices and peals of thunder like the presence of God in Mount Sinai in the Exodus. The magnitude of God's power and might are astounding, and John sees the heavenly host fall down before the Lord singing, Worthy art you, O Lord, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you did create all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You see what Scripture's doing there? If we automatically start thinking, wait a minute, you know, start thinking about ourselves, and we're missing what Scripture's doing. In this view of heaven, it's not looking at us and our experiences there, it's looking at God and his majesty and his, his infinite uh, splendor and glory. So scripture teaches us that heaven is all about God's presence. It's where God's majestic, glorious, holy, transcendent, powerful presence is uncovered. It's unveiled like the morning fog melting away before the bright sun. Now, look around right now. Do you see it? No, because it's veiled. But that doesn't mean it's not here. It's not around us. Heaven's not some distant place light years away. It's not some place up there, far out in the galaxy. I, uh, you remember when the cosmonaut went out into space and uh, supposedly he reported back, although it was probably um, uh, the uh, Russian, I can't remember his name, the Russian um, president at the time. But in the 1950s, um, this cosmonaut goes out and supposedly said, I looked around and I didn't see God. That's a very very uh, you know, anthropological way of thinking about it that, that's just stuck in not seeing what Scripture's showing that goes beyond that. Um, but uh, I heard a song. I was listening to the radio and some pop music, and I heard a song that was using that line, and, and it's from the 60s or 70s, basically repeating what the cosmonaut said. There is no God. Uh, you know, we looked around. We didn't see him in space. And that's, that's the, 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 the kind of thinking that's focused on ourselves and what we can see instead of looking with Scripture to see the God who is there. It's not some distant place light years away. It's not some parallel universe that we can somehow break into and then see. Heaven is all around us because God's presence is all around us. It's all around us. I get people asking me about heaven every once in a while, and that's the point I try to make with them. I'm not talking so much about life everlasting. That's another thing to talk about. I'm talking about heaven. It's all around us. And that's what Paul says in Acts 17, which is, tells about Paul in Athens. In his speech to the Athenians, gathered at the Areopagus, Paul describes the nations of people feeling around for God, like being in a dark room with no light, hoping they might find him. Not because he's not there, because it's dark. They can't see. There's a veil. And Paul says, he's not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. God's presence is all around us. The Reformation leader John Calvin said that when we pray the Lord's Prayer and say, Our Father who art in heaven, we should not be thinking 
of God bound and shut up and surrounded somewhere by the circumference of something called heaven. Like he's way out there, far away from us. Calvin said, God is not confined to any particular region, but diffused through all things. And Calvin's not trying to, you know, talk about a pantheistic view of God's in everything and everything's part of God, but just that God is everywhere. His presence is everywhere. That's heaven, our Father who art in heaven, all around us. Heaven is where the transcendent, majestic, glorious, holy God who is present everywhere is in full view. That's the difference. He's in full view. So instead of this, where we look around and we don't see it, we'll see it. We'll be in his presence and we'll see it. It's unveiled. Now, when we begin to think of heaven according to the word of God, then we become aware of a problem, a very terrible problem. It's a problem for each one of us. How can we be present with the transcendent, mighty, holy, all-powerful God? Something's happened so that we don't see him in his full unveiled majesty and glory right now. So how can we be present, not just see it, but be present with this transcendent, mighty, holy, all-powerful God? We can't put our arms around him as if he were our grandfather. He's not a creature. We can't breathe him in as if he were the mere air in our atmosphere. Neither can we step back and take him in as if we were at the edge of the Grand Canyon for a camera shot. And not only is he too big for us, we've sinned against him. Every single one of us, the entire human race, has turned against him, disobeying his commands, making our own gods, ungratefully using the gifts that he piles on us every day in his goodness. It's what the church prays in one of its prayers of confession, the words taken from scripture. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've rebelled against our creator. We've justly deserved his judgment and anger. So how can we who have sinned against God stand before him and not be destroyed? It's an act of mercy that the holy God veils his holiness and majesty and glory from us who are sinners. It's an act of mercy, quite frankly, because if we as sinners were in the presence of that, we would be destroyed and consumed. It, we can't, the sin and evil cannot abide before God just as it is. So how can we stand before God and not be destroyed? Entering heaven into the presence of God, you see, is not as simple as dying. If we die sinners, if we die as people estranged from God, death isn't going to take care of that problem. Isaiah, when heaven was opened to him and he saw the transcendent glory and pure holiness of the Lord God Almighty, what did he cry out? Do you remember? Woe is me, for I am undone. Why should we expect anything different? Well, our problem is insurmountable except for Jesus Christ who ascended into heaven. As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus, who was bodily raised from the dead, ascended into heaven with his human body that had been crucified on the cross. And he took our very humanity that had, that had lived in this sinful existence here, took our very humanity into heaven. Our weak, frail, small existence into the very presence of God. The small mystery or the same mystery of how the eternal Son of God became man is the same mystery of how we may dwell with God. The creature abides with the Creator through Christ, the finite with the infinite one through the ascended Jesus. And it's not because we have some spark of divinity in us that connects us to God. Jesus Christ is how God and man are brought together. 
United to him with faith, he brings us into the very presence of God. The ascension teaches us that. And above all, Jesus Christ reconciles us to God. We who have fallen away from God are returned to God by Jesus. God reconciles us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to us in order to bear the cost of our sin by dying on the cross. And he was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, not just to do, a sh- to, to, not really to perform a show. He didn't need to do that. But to bring us sinners back into the presence of God without fear and judgment, but in love and grace. In the Bible, there are many ways our reconciliation with God is presented to us. The ascension is, is the key event. It's announced to us, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, says Paul. It's also pictured for us, like in Jesus' parable of, of the prodigal son, who leaves his father and goes off to live a life of reckless self-indulgence, but then returns home to the embrace of the gracious father. And some of the most vivid pictures of our reunion with God in heaven through Jesus Christ are in the last book of the Bible in Revelation. There we see the faithful followers of Christ standing before the very throne of God, worshiping him with loud shouts of Alleluia. We see that throughout the book. And we also see the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God in a loud voice saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people. Jesus has ascended into heaven in order to reunite us with God. It's not because we die that we're reunited with God and that we come into his very presence. It's because of Jesus Christ. Now, you who live in the presence of God, reconciled to him through God, have something to tell people right now, today. As people tell their stories of peeking into heaven, of seeing old friends, of bright lights and inexpressible peace, you have something to tell them. Tell them that heaven is all around us because God is present. Tell them we're cut off from God's presence because of our sin. And then tell them about the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has ascended into heaven to bring us into the very presence of God. God forgives us and brings us back to himself in Christ. It's a wonderful opportunity to help them begin to see things the way scripture teaches us. Now, you might even say that right here, right now, going to heaven begins. It's that phrase that we hear, quorum Deo, before the face of God or in the presence of God, quorum Deo. We live right now in the presence of God because of Jesus Christ who joined us in the flesh and died for us and was raised for us and ascended into heaven, uniting us to God. We live in the very presence of God in a reunited, reconciled way. You could say everyone lives in the presence of God, but so many of them don't realize that and and bumble along in life thinking that everything is fine when it's not. But we, who have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, live in the very presence of God right now. We live, you could say, in heaven right now with God through faith in Jesus Christ, and we can live that way with joy and confidence. If heaven is where God dwells, then heaven is all around us, and we live confidently with God because Jesus Christ ascended to the Father for us. So right now, we can live with that great joy and assurance. And it begins with faith in Jesus Christ. It can only be through faith in Jesus Christ that we can live in the presence of God with true knowledge and confidence. Faith in Christ that he's the one and only one who reunites us with God. 
our thanksgiving begins right here and right now as well, which is what we offer God in our worship and by living our lives in gratitude to God for his goodness to us. You see, suddenly now the present is very important if heaven is all around us. It's very important. Right now we may join those who are in the presence of God and shout out our praise. To him who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. When we worship, do you realize the host of the host of heaven is right here. We're with them all around us. Just because you can't see it with your physical eyes doesn't mean it's not there. It's there, and we are joined with it through Christ. And when we die with faith in Christ, we shall go to be with the Lord in the unveiled presence of the power and majesty and holiness of God without fear or the guilt of sin. So yes, there needs to be something that happens. We need to, that, that veil needs to be lifted and removed. And when we die with faith in Christ, we go into that unveiled presence of God without fear or guilt. Let us pray. Grant, we pray, Almighty God, that we, that as we believe your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to have ascended into heaven, so we may also in heart and mind there ascend and with him continually dwell, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please stand. Let us confess our faith with the creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, all things were made. For us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn is number 296, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name.
Let us pray together. Eternal God, our sovereign Lord, we acknowledge all we are, all we have is yours. Give us such love of your infinite grace and holy sacrifice on the cross that we may gratefully love you and our neighbor. To you we all honor and glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus made a promise but a promise to his disciples. He said, I will not leave you desolate. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. The Apostle Paul uh, repeats the tradition of the institution of the Lord's Supper to the church in Corinth. He says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also the cup, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you, as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We know that there are many threats to the community of Christ. It seems like those threats have become more obvious in the last few years. There are, there are the powers of sin that threaten to undo us, that we struggle with, and sometimes we bring into the community of the church, or maybe it's better to say they just are present and they, they uh, show up. But there are also the powers that threaten the church from the outside. Many dangers would destroy us if they could. These powers kind of take on a life of their own and would seek to destroy us. But in this meal, our Lord assures us that he's victorious over sin 
and that he will not let the powers of evil destroy his church. So the church, over these many, many millennia, these many centuries and two millennia, have been has been celebrating the Lord's Supper over and over again, and sometimes in very hostile places. The Word of God says God has disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in Christ. And it says that when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. With faith in Christ and by the power of his grace, we now love one another and look to the interests of others. With faith in Christ and by the power of his grace, we do not return evil for evil, but we bless others and we're zealous for what is right. All who have been baptized, who have professed faith publicly in Jesus Christ and are communicant members of the Christian church are welcome to come and share in this joyful feast of our Lord. As you accept this gracious invitation, always remember that it's the Lord's table. It is not our table. It's the Lord's table. And you confirm that you are trusting Jesus Christ alone as your Savior from sin, that you're endeavoring with all your heart by His grace to seek after Him and to live with love and concern for your fellow Christians with whom you'll be eating and drinking. Join me now in giving thanks to God for our new life and salvation in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give thanks and praise. It is indeed right and good and our duty and great joy always and everywhere to give you thanks, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Jesus Christ, the King of glory. We are your creatures, but we turned away from you, denying you are our Lord. But Jesus Christ, born of a woman, came to our rescue. He was sent by you to deliver us from our sin. Dying for us, he trampled death and conquered sin. And by the glory of his resurrection, he opened the way to life eternal. And by his ascension, gave us the sure hope that where he is, we may also be. And therefore, the universe resounds with joy and with choirs of angels we sing forever to your praise. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. And now we give thanks that Christ is crowned with glory and honor, exalted, a prince and savior at your right hand, where he is God to prepare a place for us, that we may ascend to where he is and reign with him in glory. Lord, by your cross and resurrection, you have set us free. You are the savior of the world. With your Holy Spirit, bless us and bless these gifts of bread and the cup, that the bread which we break may be for us the communion of the body of Christ, and the cup of blessing which we bless the communion of the blood of Christ, that we, receiving them by faith, may be partakers of his body and blood with all his benefits, to nourish us and help us grow in grace to the glory of your most holy name. And here we offer and present to you our very selves to be a living sacrifice, dedicated and fit for your acceptance through Jesus Christ our Lord. With one voice we offer our thanksgiving and together we say, Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread and after giving thanks he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
check and see if it's like for each corresponding part. So you like to say Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are they who take refuge in Him. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you and receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. God, our Father, you have you raised our humanity in Christ and fed us with the bread of heaven. Mercifully grant that nourished with such spiritual blessings, we may set our hearts in heavenly places. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Final hymn is number 295, Crown Him with Many Crowns.
Christ, our ascended King, pour upon you the abundance of his gifts and bring you to reign with him in glory. And the blessing of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen. Good morning. Um, really, just a couple of announcements. Um, just uh, keep in mind the uh, Thursday night Bible study here at the church. Um, also, um, the session will actually be meeting uh, next Saturday uh, at 9 o'clock. So uh, please be in prayer for the work of the session. We're trying to work through best timing for us to meet, and it looks like Saturday morning is it, at least for this month. So. Again, please be in prayer for that. Um, and keep the, uh, the 11th uh, on your calendar for uh, the reception for Rebecca and Daniel Swanson over at Oakland Hills. And then also for women, uh, two days before June 9th will be the women's prayer meeting at Deneen's Place. Um, that's it by way of announcement for me. Anything from the floor? Just uh, update you, Seth is now in South Korea for a year deployed. Um, South Korea is about 13 hours um, ahead of us, actually. You'd think it's behind, but it's, it's ahead of us. So um, they're ending their Sunday as, as we're in the middle of ours. But keep him in prayer. Um, and then uh, this Memorial Day weekend, we were we, we, when we met for a Friday evening prayer, we... I think Deneen prayed for uh, Sam. And Douglas, your two... Douglas and uh, Bradley. Bradley. They're both uh, military. So just some people closer to us who are in that that you can remember in prayer. Yep. Jeff, how long is uh, Seth expected? He's there for a year. Yeah. yeah. And Eduardo's a vet, by the way. <clears throat> I don't know, there might be others I'm not thinking about Barbara. Um, if you could just remember my niece Tina in prayer. She's been on a ventilator for 10 days now. Um, she's 43 with multiple health issues. She has two young elementary age sons. Um, they're down in Atlanta. She has multiple health issues going on. So um, she just needs prayer. Okay. Uh, for those that are um, watching, uh, please pray for Barb. Correct me if I'm wrong. Barbara's niece, Tina. She has multiple health issues going on currently, and she's on a ventilator and has been on one for about 10 days. So just uh, keep her in your... She's got how many young ones? Two. Two young ones. Uh, so um, please uh, keep her in your prayers as well. All right. If there's nothing else, we'll go ahead and dismiss. Thank you.